Hi, this is Craig with the All That's Holy Blue Collar Podcast. Just wanted to let you know that Cody and I hadn't spoken to each other for a while, and so we got on our on our podcast and we ended up yakking and yammering for quite a while. The focus of this is actually to to interview and have a conversation with Tom Sign and Dwight Friesen in their regarding their new book, 2020's Foresight, which is a, a book to help leaders and communities understand and plan for this upcoming decade of incredible change. Uh, so hopefully you'll enjoy that interview. And like I said, if you want to ignore Cody and our yammering, just jump to 47 minutes and about 30 seconds in. Hope you enjoy the interview. Welcome to the All That's Holy Blue Collar Podcast, thought-provoking interviews with interesting guests and commentary on everything. Food, sports, God, gardening, church, politics, music, movies, comedy, you name it, we talk about it. Hi, this is Craig Morton, a.k.a. Crash Test Craig. And after a long hiatus, we've got Cody back. Cody Stoffer is going to be with us on this episode, and we're going to have to do a new introduction because Cody and I are going to be back at producing these podcasts in a more regular fashion. On this podcast, we've been silent for some time, but now, with so much to talk about, it's time to seek some wisdom. And as always, we are allergic to big words, but not big ideas. Profound things will be said, but entirely by accident. So there we go. Yes. So you, hey. yeah, you asked about about who's going to win the finals. Yeah. This is uh, up until yesterday. That was a very complex question. Oh really? Well, because you have baseball in finals, NBA <laughs> that's, that's in true. finals, and until yesterday you had NHL in finals. That's true. They won the uh, the uh, what's don't what are they called? So <laughs> <laughs> uh, Florida? No, not Florida. Uh, Tampa Bay. T- Lightning. There you go. Yeah. Yeah. They won yeah. the NHL. And I, yes, I was riveted. I, I love watching hockey. I just don't understand it. <laughs> and yeah. we, and we've already had an MLS uh, title go oh, yeah? kind of, because they were doing, they were doing the limited, um, oh, what do they call it? But they had a limited, you know, short season over the summer. Oh, okay. Mm-hmm. And uh, Portland. Okay. So they've crowned their title. Oh yeah. No, I knew that. Yeah, Trouble, right. yeah. So the Timbers won, but now it's now it's into the regular season, I think, or something like that. Oh, but anyway, boy. it was weird. All these sports piled up on top of each other. Yeah. Uh, with college football, like, well, they're not even starting until the end of October. Right. It's crazy. Um, so what the first Sunday of uh, the NFL? Right. Which Those day was three, that? Three weeks ago. Three weeks ago? So I was playing, I was actually on my phone and I was playing a, a football video game and Lisa walked in and said, ah, oh, that's going to be the only sports you're getting this year, huh? Because she didn't realize everything Everything's was gone. on now. And, right. and I said, actually, cause that particular day was the first time in history that an NFL game an N uh, MLB game, an NHL match, 
a WNBA game and one other thing. Maybe it was maybe it was a soccer. I don't know. It was the first time in history all five were on the same day. You know, because typically some seasons yeah, they're just spread out. <laughs> right. Yeah. So I said actually today it's of ironic that you say that today of all days because it's the first time. Well, one of the things I didn't follow with the NBA. Um, where where did they pick up? Did they pick up with the records where they left off? Yep. Yeah, they okay. played. Uh, there were, I want to say they played an additional, maybe it was like 10 more games or something like that. Yeah. Real quick. You know, I mean, they were doing, it was like two weeks worth real quick. Just, yeah. Because according to some final obscure, seating. If, if the season had been canceled, according to some obscure rule, the Lakers would have been the champions. <laughs> I think I read that somewhere. There was some obscure rule, whoever's first with the best winnings <laughs> percentage after like February 19th, it was something weird. And then, so. well, so that's what I'm talking about. That exactly. Finals. So, okay, so well, what, was, what do you think is going to happen? I, well, I think the Lakers are going to win. I'm I pulling for the too. Lakers. I'm going to say because the heat is so well-rounded and they have less pressure on them. Oh, you know, I mean, there's still pressure, but slightly less than because the Lakers, you know, it's like, well, you're, you got to win. In fact, you probably should sweep or whatever. So uh, I'm going to say the Heat's going to put up a challenge, though, because they also have a very well-rounded team, a lot of determination. Jim, Jimmy Butler, whew, that guy, he's like uh, strong-willed. And uh, so we're going to say, I'm going to say Lakers in six. Wow. Yep. Lakers and six. Lakers and six. So the Heat's going to give them a run. Yeah. So what's it going to go? Is it going to go uh, four two? Ooh. You think? Yeah. Yes. It'll be. So it's uh, going to go. It's going to go Lakers, then Heat, Heat, and then cool. boom. Oh, maybe. Does that? I'd have to. There is no. Who cares about? Actually, wouldn't there is no home court advantage, of course. But yeah. I'm, yeah, so I guess that doesn't factor in at all. You know, one of the things that I'm curious about, I, I, I haven't heard any interviews with that, with some of the athletes, but what is it like to play without fans? Yeah. In, in some ways, I'm thinking, is it more personal? I mean, because these are people, they know right. each other. They've known each other <laughs> for years. Uh, some of them are friends. Some of them are enemies. <laughs> right. Uh, and a lot of them are just competitors, you know. Yeah. But when you've got some, you know, a bunch of people yelling and cheering, you know, like, you know, 15, mm -hmm. 20,000 people. Right. You're trying to satisfy the crowd. Played and you may not be thinking about the person you're going up against quite as much. Now it's just right. you and you and them. Yeah. I was thinking it might feel like a, because I, I was wondering that when I forget what game I was watching, but I was like, is this to them, does it feel like a, um, one of their, You just went mute. Hear me? There you are. Okay, sorry. Somebody tried calling, so it mutes oh, okay. my Zoom. <laughs> but anyway, um, yeah, I wondered if it would be had that feel to them. Like, okay, it's just street ball. You know, we're out in the we're out in the not parking lot. What's the word I'm looking for? The uh, yeah, yeah. You know, the park. Or, or does it feel like a preacher having to do a Sunday service with absolutely uh -huh. nobody in the congregation with a bunch of empty pews? Yeah. And no facial cues to go on, you know. <laughs> that is true. I that gets me. 
same thing. Well, what what you're, what you're doing in person, so a little bit. What outside. I would love to see happen, especially with the NFL, mm -hmm. is I I hate the crowd noise, the fake crowd noise. <laughs> I know the canned. It's like it's just this constant, you know, in the background. Yeah, background. it's not responsive, right? It doesn't. Yeah. Go yeah, I don't like that. It's at least <laughs> at least crank up the volume when there's a field yeah, goal or right. something like that. Yeah, it feels too weird. It 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 it's not responsive. But the other thing is, I think it would be so cool is if I mean they've got all those sideline mics. Mm. Oh, there crank, you go. Crank those up, and I would love to hear the defense calling its you know different different Ooh. you know uh, alignments to respond to the offense. That and, would be. I mean, it would be fun just to hear what's going on actually on the field now that we actually could. Yeah, yeah, that would be kind of cool. But uh, I don't know if that's too much, you know, sports geek kind of thing, like. <laughs> right. Hearing, or hearing you, have, you else have somebody, blue dog, red, you know, it's like, I don't know if that means anything. To no, that, uh, yeah, <laughs> okay. no, well, and also, uh, would it be giving away their any secrets or well yeah i don't think it would be for on the field if you had the coaches right. and stuff that would be but that would be fascinating too can you imagine if you could, if the audience but not the players on the field or the coaches on the field could hear <laughs> the press box to coach yeah. conversations oh that'd be kind of cool that it'd would be like be. uh when you watch uh a space a launch you know and you're hearing the tower control to the yeah yeah the interaction between the ground crew and the yeah. yeah, I don't. Yeah, I, there's no way they, There's no way I'm sure they could block that from the sidelines, so they couldn't hear wow. what the I know. audience. I know. I'm thinking they might pick up. But. But I think there'd be things that would be fun to do that are different now. But. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, get creative. Well, did you I, see the uh, the Broncos filled their stadium with. Oh, it was, it was South Park. South Park characters. The I entire town of or whatever in South Park. Yeah, what was it? They had 1,300 cutouts, I think it was, something <laughs> like that. That's hilarious. And what what I thought was awesome is uh, even Jesus had a mask. I mean, they were all masked. They all were oh, yeah, wearing masks. That's and, funny. you know, going through, there was one with Jesus, and there Jesus was wearing a mask. Oh, funny. So. Well, it'd be interesting to see if they put uh, Chef in there, because, you know, when he left the show, it wasn't uh, it wasn't amicable, and oh, they kind of cut him out of the legacy a bit. I don't know. I yeah, there, I didn't get to see every single image. I've I've, I've never here, seen. I've only seen like two episodes of South Park, but I know that history of the. But like, the other part of it that was funny is oh well, if you well, then if you don't, you you may not know about Kenny. Yeah, I mean, I know about that. I mean, I Kenny always wears the hoodie, and he's yeah. got like a scarf on, and there's oh, nothing yeah, yeah. just his eyes you see. Even even Kenny had a scarf. Ha, 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 that's funny. <laughs> I mean, not a scarf, a, a face a mask. A little mask. That's yeah. hilarious. So that's good. <laughs> funny. Uh, nice. So so we're yeah. recording. We'll throw this in front of the of the podcast that I'll probably put up over the weekend or okay. next Monday. Okay. So we get to share with our vast audience. Yay! That we're um, back. When I you think the reason I did not want to do it. Socially distance, please. Well, yeah, the reason I thought I did, I hate the idea of talking to myself. I'm not a good podcaster. <laughs> That's a little rough. I need interaction too. Yeah. And then, um, but what do you want to talk about? Uh, oof. Yeah, because we've done, we've done a variety of different formats. 
we could talk yeah, we, about we we talked about stuff that's one format when we first <laughs> okay. got started mm -hmm. then we tried to pick up like themes and talk about specific topics like i remember yeah. one was on comedy when uh, don rickles yeah. died that's right um, mm -hmm. and then we then we tried working with the uh, the lectionary and doing that mm -hmm. Okay, but if we do lectionary, one of the things I was thinking about, like how often, like, yeah, the the pulpit fiction podcast—they're on every week. That's a lot of right. work. That's tough. And I'm sorry, I'm right. not sure if I'm that committed. Hang on, I got uh, one of my at-home students needs a little help with something. Just a second, I'll be right back. Sure. Okay, what do you need? You got? Oh my. <laughs> okay, I, I had paused it for a while. So, oh, right, okay. We're back. Yeah, no, we're good. Okay. Yeah. I mean, so what do you want to talk about? Or how would you like to? How would you like to pursue what we talked about? I mean, because oh, I don't, oof. I don't know that I can commit to every week. Oof. Yeah, that's that's a and, challenge. And when you do the lectionary, that's kind of what it leads. Well, up to. you could do, you could do, uh, you still do it, but I'm trying to find my little book. But just talk a couple weeks in advance. Well, I was thinking like, what's coming up this month? You know, what's well, coming up the next few weeks? Election season. Oh uh, yeah, and there's then there's all that too. It's like, but you know, have you thought that Advent is coming up? Yep, Advent is coming up. I mean, I don't know what we're gonna do for that. To be honest. Well, Advent's coming up. At the same time, votes will probably still be getting be counted. counted. And finalized. Yep. Mm -hmm. um, <sighs> I think it's going to be a great season for Advent, just because oh, yeah? of the op the apocalyptic overtones. Yeah. That that the are in the readings. The world is ending. And I mean, because there's always something from, um, like the the um, Olivet discourse, you know, and stars are falling from the sky and moon turns red. Yeah. Usually stuff from Isaiah. So Very I think stuff. I think uh, Advent will be a fun thing to talk about. Yeah, let's see. But I guess we could talk about, you know, what's coming up in the weeks to come. Do you want to be, would, would you want it to be like just shooting the breeze about it? Or do we want to dig in deep and find tons of resources? Well, we could maybe bring, uh, I wouldn't don't know how many resources. Maybe we just bring each bring a, a fun resource. I think that's and probably maybe a it, good idea. Maybe it'd be something, though, that's like not the mainstream. So what I mean is like, everyone kind of knows and knows the opinions and the analysis up here. But like, right. what if we find, do you know who David Dark is? No, I know who, uh, I know some, da Dark? No. Yeah, David Dark. Okay, so like, that's an example, right? There's somebody who's doing like <laughs> deeper analysis of stuff right. and, and is a guy who can kind of like really cut down to like, these are the underpinning themes that are deeper. You know, yeah, and I think I think that would be something. But but yeah, so it could be like one or two things like that. Mm -hmm. And I I do like it when we get to talk about good music or movies or you know, oh, of course, cultural stuff that's yep. going on, as well as mm -hmm. sports. Um, the sports thing is so fluid right now. <laughs> yeah. Um, well, so isn't the sports world is kind of a 
do you think to me, okay, so talking about uh, apocalypse and, you know, and we like to make sure people understand that's not really the end of anything. It's the exactly. idea of the revealing of things. I, so, that's, and that's exactly the thing that I was thinking about. We'd be fun for Advent. What has yeah. been revealed? What veil has been torn okay. from our Because I have an idea that has to do, do with sports in that. Oh, yeah? And, that's kind of simple, but I don't know if you want to hear it now or if you want to wait. For oh, why don't you stew on it? Yeah. Okay. We'll and, do that then. Yeah, that'll be fun. Yes. And then, <laughs> um, and I, I think I, in one of my texts to you, I, I mentioned a number of people that I've had uh, conversations with about doing, you know, like interviews. And they're, they're, most of them are not like well-known people. I mean, sure. The conversation with Tom signs a little bit different. Tom's been known for 30 years at least. Yeah. That was fun to get to talk to him. That was cool. And uh, yeah, part of it and, for a and bit. White Friesen was somebody that I've been wanting to talk to for quite a while. So it was fun to get together yeah. with him as well. And yeah. so we'll put that at the end of this conversation so you can oh. all hear about White Friesen and Tom Sines' uh, latest project on 2020 Foresight. 2024 uh, site. Now, yeah. how come they released that at the end of the year and not towards the beginning? Well, you know, I, I, well, 2020s, there's a, there's an S oh, there at the end of that. Okay, okay, so, okay, so it's okay, getting ready okay. for the decade. It's not just for the gotcha. year. Nobody okay. could get ready for this year. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's all right. And, but you know what? I honestly, this is a small pet peeve of mine, but technically speaking, 2020 is not the first year of. That, decade, and, and I think that's I think that's an appropriate understanding for this book. So in other words, yeah. we can read it this year to be ready for the beginning of the twenties. That's right. Yeah. Um, but um, yeah, it, it it when I was reading the book and going into it, I began to realize they had begun writing this previous to everything falling apart. Right. Yeah. And somewhere somewhere towards the first chapter, the even in the introduction. You know, they make mention of, and now in March, this, you know, the wheels fell off. Uh, <laughs> we have to hurry and throw in. <laughs> yeah, and, and it's like, I can imagine so many publishers were like, okay, how do we respond to this curveball? Yeah. And, um, you know, they, they just picked it up and it fit within the theme. Cool. Uh, you know, getting ready for the <laughs> unexpected. Oh, yeah. Oh, so for a, a bit of that conversation, we talked about discontinuous change. It's like those changes that come that have no preface. You don't really right. see it coming. Um, yep. So it was, I thought it, it was a fun conversation. In fact, it was one of my favorite interviews because we just shot the breeze and it was like, oh, hey, I guess this is the interview. <laughs> I love it. That's the way to do it. Uh, speaking of interviews, I have a, an author named J.R. Um, Briggs. Tolkien? Oh. That'd be sweet, J.R.R. Tolkien. So, you know, messed around a little with the Ouija board. And anyway, so I've got a scheduled interview with Tolkien. Yeah. No, uh, no, J.R. Briggs. And he's, uh, his book is called, um, I can't remember the name of the title, but it's something like In Between, In the In Between or something like that. And uh, it's it seems really interesting. I ordered it, I haven't received it yet. But anyway, I have him and his... Uh, publicist or whoever um right. they've agreed to sometime in the middle of october to have a interview with me so oh that's awesome that's great Get that lined up i'll send you info on the book but it i think it might be a good follow-up to the 
2020s thing because the in-between is like this it's kind of like if I remember right it might have something to do with the here let me just look up the description to make sure that I'm right but it has something to do with the overlap of sacred and secular and they're not actually being a division of the two yeah, yeah. Uh, something like that I think it has something to do with that there's a so there's an interesting check. online magazine I think it's called think Christian oh yeah i can't remember if that's what it is but their tagline is there's no such thing as secular oh yeah uh where's it at I'm trying to find his new newest one jr briggs to do the sacred overlap there it is oh learning to live faithfully in the space between and the description is do 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 Okay. The widening of political, racial, generational, and religious differences often leads to an us versus them mentality, all too common today. In the sacred overlap, J.R. Briggs communicates a refreshing vision that embraces tension and calls us to live in radical love and faithfulness between the extremes that isolate and divide people. There you go. That's what it's about. Read the Gospels and you'll see how Jesus was committed to crossing cultural, social, political, and religious either or waters, engaging in many and also activities. He comforted the disturbed and also disturbed the comfortable. He was too religious for the pagans and also too pagan for the religious elites. He hung out with filthy lepers and also dined with the filthy rich. It was alarming and disarming at the same time. There you go. Well, that sounds good. The sacred overlap helps readers see that Christians are called to live with their feet firmly planted in two different worlds, in both heaven and earth, living naturally with grace and truth. Only then can a Christian be a faithful witness to the way of Jesus. Yeah, your, your video feed froze for a long yep. time. Oh, were so you walking around or something? No, I went to, if I, <laughs> so I'm on my phone. So if I switch to another anything, oh. app, so in this case, it was the internet browser to read the description of the book. Well, it froze you in a really good spot. It was a really good picture. Okay. Oh Instead yeah, what it I was like, like. Yeah, like, like somebody's in the midst of something like looking stupid, you know, but oh, it was, but it was a good I, like... I, I should have I should have done a screenshot. No, it didn't look like that. No, no, it's not <laughs> like that. Um, but yeah, I think, I think it'd be fun to do that. One other thought I had would be fun to do would to be lighten our load of having to produce content by asking others to contribute things and to create a field of correspondence. There you go. So I haven't asked her yet, but Sarah Jackson, who we interviewed from Denver yeah. and works yes. with uh, immigrant families. One of my favorite interviews ever. She, she's been doing a lot of cool stuff and it'd be fun just to check in with her. Hey, how are things going in Denver? Yeah. You know, you and I probably have friends and connections across the country. We could check in with folks and just for just a five minute, hey, what's what's the weather like there? What's going on? What's new? That'd be sweet. And um, kind of schedule a few correspondence. Yep, I agree. Let's but I'm trying it. to, one of the other interviews I'm trying to get is uh, Drew Hart. Yes. Awesome. And uh, he had, um, well, we as a church, we read his book, um, Trouble I've Seen, a few years ago which really kind of helped us get into Black Lives Matter stuff previous to the most recent kind of eruption of that topic. Mm -hmm. And he happens to have come out with a brand new book um, just in the last, I think it was September, it was released. 
Um, and uh, he's been making some of the speaking tours and stuff like that. So it'd be fun to have a conversation Heck with him. Yeah. And then locally, locally, we've got, uh, I've got a friend who is just dynamite. Um, she has started a, a group called Inclusive Idaho. Okay. And she wanted to have a Black Lives Vigil after um, George Floyd's murder. Yeah. And, and she, she, you know, so I was asking, hey, how can I help? You know, wanted to have a candlelight thing. And she said, uh, I said, hey, can I go pick up like 100 candles? Would that be good? Oh, that'd be awesome. And then texting back and forth, she said, I think we're going to have about 300 people. So it's like, oh, gee, I don't have time to go get the other 200 candles. Uh, and then she texted, hey, we can't use candles. We have to use electric lights. Somebody's going to pick some oh, of those geez. up. So I've got, anybody needs them, I've got 100 candles for a candlelight <laughs> ceremony. If anybody wants it, so. Um, but, um, but we get there and 5,000 plus people show up and it was just a, a beautiful evening. Um, I think just to see how many people in a very conservative, you know, uh, state still gather to. And it wasn't a, a protest, so to speak. It was a vigil to commemorate yeah. and to memorialize. At that point, I think the names of you know 40 or 50 individuals who'd been um, killed basically for being black. Uh, right. Their names were read off slowly. It was a it was an amazing amazing evening. But for her, that that work has just boomed into. A, I don't know if it's full time work because she still has her other job. But she's done amazing things. Whitney Mistel is her name, and she's also a name? fantastic coach. Just an amazing uh, uh, track and field athlete. What's her so name? We get Whitney Mistel. Whitney Mistel. Okay. And so we can talk about we can talk about faith, sports, and culture. I mean, she she hits she covers the bases. Boom. Love um, it. So those are some of the ones. And I think, you know, if we want to do Advent again, like we did a couple years ago, it'd be fun to invite Tom to sit down yeah. and look at some of the Advent texts with us. Oh, yeah. With, with that apocalyptic theme. I love that. Especially the That'd apocalyptic cool. thing. You know, it's like, here, here's the future. We know the future. Tom, do we know the future? Does God know the future? <laughs> <laughs> Tell me what we're learning about the future. <clears throat> so, uh, but um, yeah, that sounds good. I love it. A good so, plan. do you have any? Do you have any music lately that's been uh, resonating with you deeply? Yeah, actually. Do you know? Uh, have you ever heard of Orville Peck? Orville Peck? Yes. No. Okay. Or Paul Coffin? No. Okay. They are probably. This is legitimately true. They're probably two. The two best voices right now in country music but uh okay. but they they're the type of country that is not going to get that doesn't get played on the radio <laughs> they're kind of like outlaw you know they're like the modern day version of like the outlaw guys you know like so waylon jennings that kind of thing right and orville peck is um he's gay and he i don't know he might have this thing perhaps it's, it's um, maybe he just doesn't want to show his face or something. I'm not sure, but he always wears a mask that goes covers all the way down, like fringe. Fringe even goes all the way down to 
Oh yeah, fringe mask. There it is. I see it on Etsy. Yeah. So those are people just making ones like him. But see, that's him right there in the the cowboy hat with the. That's him. That's and uh, <laughs> yeah, he. So anyway, and Paul Coffin. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. It's weird, but his voice is amazing. And so when you see a mask like this one that he's got on that just covers the eyes, it's kind of like a Lone Ranger thing. But when yes. you got this fringy one that goes from the nose down, that's not Lone Ranger-ish. No. I it's love like, it. It's, yeah. And so if you keep scrolling down, though, actually, so here's what I wanted to talk about or show you. Oh, okay. Is, uh, he joins with Paul Cawthon to be, and they're called the Unrighteous Brothers. And they cover Righteous Brothers songs. And oh, really? Um, oh, there's some amazing. great Righteous Brothers songs. That's amazing, especially uh, with Chain Melody is pretty good. But uh, what's the one? What's the more famous? You've lost. You've lost that Levin film. That's even better. Let's see. In fact, stop. I would start with the "You've Lost That Levin Feeling." Go. It's right over there, on the uh, up next. Oh, there we yeah, go. Start with that one. Yeah, do that one. So good. Wow, he's got a classic country song. There's no tenderness like before in your fingertips. You're trying hard not to show it. But baby, baby, I know it. You lost that That is amazing. I like that. And uh, um, and then his range, because so later in the song he does the high notes. Yeah. <laughs> and oh man, so good. That's cool. Well, thank mm -hmm. you. That's a that's a nice thing to be, be uh, become familiar with. <laughs> yeah. So those well, two. That's since, since, since we don't sing on Sunday anymore, uh, I've been going to um, music on YouTube. You know, yeah. just inserting it in our PowerPoint. Oh, like it. put our PowerPoint on our website. And so yeah. people can follow along in order of service and then I'll jump into a song. This is this is uh, the song I want to play this Sunday. Ooh, I love uh, Janelle Monet. She's one of my favorites. Let's see, I gotta get that back at the beginning. The table about to turn. The table about to turn. The table about to turn. I just said, I've never had a song that drops yeah. the other song. Uh, I've been flipping through my timeline. Trying to get my mind right. My city cried out. I got to cool down. But I'm under pressure. Looking with my Crisco. Look at where my fist go. A renegade when I'm in a rage. I got to cool down. But I'm under pressure. I keep my hands dirty. My mind clean, got a new agenda, put a new dream. I'm kicking out the old regime. Liberation, elevation, education. America, you a lie. But the whole world about to testify. I said the whole world about to testify. And the table's about to, the table's about to time. 
And I see how it fits in here with the lectionary. Yeah, I think it's going to fit in with the, uh, you know, the, um, yeah, the story of the the vineyard. Yes. And uh, taken away from the. Yeah. yeah. Ooh, good. Yeah, so that's that's that song was on a um, Amazon Prime documentary called All In. Oh, sure. Yes. And it was about, was that about it was the large, voting? It, yeah, it focused on the, the Georgia gubernatorial race. Yeah, that's right. Stacey and Abram. the disenfranchisement that went along with that. But it was also about the, the history of disenfranchisement. Right. And uh, and so this, this song was in that, I think, as the credits rolled by at the end. That's and, awesome. Uh, it was, it's an amazing... Um, amazing movie to watch it, or documentary yeah. oh, i've been meaning to watch it it's kind of startling and frightening considering what's going on these days so uh <laughs> local to boise here in uh, canyon uh, canyon county which is just you know beside the county adjacent to us mm -hmm. um there are 50 i think they said 55 polling locations on election day have been reduced to five five yeah, I saw that. yeah. Oh, and Partly it's out of not enough people volunteering to cover the polls. Right. They don't want to sh and, because of the pandemic. Exactly. And I can, I can understand that. But then there was another NPR report today about how state or funding of local polling has never been a, a priority in most states. Right. Um, maybe that's, that's because there are enough volunteers, but not this year. Nope. Pay and those so people. The, so we got another risk of disenfranchisement. Um, um, uh, LeBron James said that he will, I, I think I'm pretty sure part of his group, they will pay poll workers to be there. That's awesome. They'll, they'll put up the money. I think it was him and then somebody else too. Maybe Mark Cuban. I don't know. Something, you know, something like that. Yep. This is, this yeah. is going to be interesting. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, that's crazy. And then, uh, yeah, the NBA using all their stadiums for voting too. Yeah. So they could yeah. spread out. Yeah. I don't know. <laughs> it's gonna be wild. It's gonna be wild times. So hey, tell me, does this does this time work as a time to get together? Uh, yes, usually. And what is today? Tuesday. Tuesday. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Okay. Yep. Yeah. Uh, usually. What time is it right now? So I usually have this little window till about 10.30 my time open. Okay. Wait, it's so. past 10.30 your time. No, no, it's 9.49 your time. <laughs> you're, get, you're, you're jumbling our times. I always get it mixed up, yeah. So, <laughs> right. Uh, Janelle Monet, by the way, um, there's a book by Malcolm Gladwell. His, uh -huh, I think it's right. his latest book. It's called Talking with Strangers or Talking to Strangers, something like that. And he specifically wrote it. I mean, you can buy it in print, of course, but he specifically wrote it with audio in mind. Right. And so the chapters are built to have a soundtrack and she's the soundtrack, one of her songs. And oh, it's, cool. uh, it's really good too. And it goes in well with the, with the, uh, with the, the book. 
but anyway, talking strangers, he kind of like the opening example is the deal with Sandra Bland and her interaction with the police officer. Sandra Bland was the was the black woman who was killed in Texas. She was had just moved there from right. like Minnesota or something like that. And she was going to, she was working, I think at SMU or something like that. And it was like her first day she was going to the office and she got pulled over and, and it just, you know, it didn't go well. And so he was talking about like basically the whole rest of the premise of the book is, or the, you know, basically this talking to strangers and what we bring with us you know, and what's going on subconsciously in the body, you know, whatever, we all bring to these interactions that we have with strangers. And mm -hmm. even the psychology of it, like, you know, we, we think, everybody thinks they're so good at reading other people's emotions and expressions and all that kind of stuff. And we're not, we're even, it's even the, the, uh, the best FBI um, uh, experts on facial analysis and, uh, and interrogation and negotiations are less than 50%, you know, wow. at gauging emotions and stuff like that. Yeah. So, yeah. So we just bring all this stuff that seems so, you know, from the outside, you know, like, oh, well, we could have handled that better. Uh, I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> That's true. Yeah. Yeah. It's hard to judge somebody else's experience at the moment, but also knowing that but knowing yourself, if you're prone to fail at reading somebody else's emotion, I think it probably would behoove us to ask a lot more questions. That's right. And that's that kind of is where he landed with it. Like, yeah. the main thing you need to understand when you come into these interactions is you don't know. You have no clue. You have no idea what this person, what they're bringing emotionally yeah. to the table, what they've just gone through, what they're thinking. And so a simple thing like being frustrated that you've been pulled over 50 times in the last two years you know right. you don't know that from your your end that she's got that so when she snaps a little bit you maybe you could uh set aside your initial you know okay i might got my hackles up you know because i right. think they're disrespecting me and that's not it at all they're frustrated because they, <laughs> they're late to work and pulled over for the 50th time or that's, whatever that's true the um I think, I, and I don't know if he picks that up in this, this book, if, but I think we all have that, we all have judgments we make about another person. And I mean, I remember when I was teaching psychology, I was reading some study and the very first thing we see in somebody else, when we see a stranger, a new you know, body gets in front of our line of sight. The first thing we see is skin color. The second thing we see is a sex. Yeah, uh, right. And the first two things. And so when those first two things come to mind, they usually come with all kinds of powerful assumptions about the other that we've got to be aware that we've got to weed through that to find the person under there. Um, and I remember telling somebody once, um, everybody's a racist. Um, it's in the problem, the issue is in saying, I'm not a racist any longer. It's almost to me feels like uh, having been an alcoholic and saying I am an alcoholic, but I'm dry. You know, yeah. I, I haven't had a drink for you know ten years, but it's yeah. always a part of my nature. And I think we've been yeah. socialized so much to have certain expectations about somebody's gender, somebody's somebody's racial uh, or ethnic background, 
that if yep. we're not aware of them, then they become incredibly powerful and manipulate us. That's right. And so yep. I keep on trying to say, I am anti-racist. Yeah. I'm working against it, not only in others, but in myself first. Right. That's right. Yep. I like it. So. Yeah. In fact, uh, so we just, we did a book study through the book called How to Be an Anti-Racist. Yeah. By yeah. Great. And in um, he talks about how like, you know, similar things and in, in the idea being like, it's not even so much that you are racist. It's almost like moment to moment. Like, am I being a racist right now? Maybe, in, so like the, his example, one of the examples he uses in interviews is the lady and the dog uh, with the, at the park in New York right. City when the, the, she wanted the guy to put a, the dog on his a leash or whatever. And afterwards, of course, the classic, I'm not racist, but you know, and he's like, it doesn't matter, you know, maybe right now you're not, you know, maybe in this moment right now you don't have the, but in that moment you were. Yeah, you were, yeah, yeah. Right? it's, you it's, it's there in us latent, almost uh, yeah. emerging un, uncalled, it just comes. Right, yep. Um, yep. I, one of the things about uh, uh, Kendi's book, I, 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 I had it in hard copy and, um, and audio, yeah. so I could go back and forth between nice. Kindle and, and Audible. And, but when I listen to Audible, I always crank it up to like 1.7, you know, one, you know, oh, speed so almost two, twice as speed, twice the normal speed. Mm -hmm. And I'd tell you, listening to Kendi at like, you know, 1.75 speed, he's got the most amazing rhythm in his, as he reads his own story. And I, oh, I thought I maybe if you, when I was reading it, person. reading it, you don't see the rhythm, yeah. but it's like, da, 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 da. Did it, everything seemed like an iambic pentameter almost when you have it cranked oh, up awesome. that fast. It was like, this that's is cool. really hypnotic to listen to. I love it. <laughs> <laughs> that's cool. I, yeah. He's, uh, you saw at the end of the book, right? He, most of the time, right, Mad, wasn't he battling cancer or something like that? Yeah, was yeah there's all that going on. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So it was almost like he was like, I got to get, <clears throat> you never know, this could be it. This could be my last. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah. I read that one and um, uh, White uh, Fragility. I haven't read that one yet, but uh, at the same time. Okay. And that took a little uh, it, heat. Some heat. It was a. It was. They were good to read together, and a little. Yeah, definitely humbling, mm -hmm. but also um, concrete. Do this. Don't do that. Kinds of stuff. Mm, nice. Uh, but like um, anyway, yeah, it, uh, those that's definitely a topic we could jump into a little bit more. Oh yeah, uh, in depth. Um, oh yeah. So I've been accused of. Honestly, I don't know much about critical race theory. Like I don't, right. I've never been versed in it or anything like that. But I have been accused here lately of, I'm just expounding critical race theory and I'm like oh maybe I what is it? <laughs> tell, tell me what it is I don't know it's like okay is that all right uh, <laughs> <laughs> no this person was very opposed to it but uh, I was like I'm, I'm sorry I don't know it's what the, the 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 fun question then comes back is can you tell me what critical race theory is so I can uh, be <laughs> yeah, careful right. to understand and yeah. my hunch is it's like, well, I don't know. I just read about it on Breitbart or heard about it on Fox News. I don't know. That's what it felt like. This person was re essentially quoting to me a resource that I could tell was opposed, you know, yeah. 
and so probably had a colored <laughs> lens where it was that it was looking through. Yeah, yeah, it had it had some kind of lens. Yeah. So. Well, let's let's go ahead and um, do two things. Yes. So we've we've got an interview that's going to be at the end of this conversation. Okay. And we'll we'll let people hear from Tom Sign and, and Dwight Friesen. And after they listen to Dwight Friesen and to Tom Sign and us have a conversation with them, then you and I can close off the episode with something profound to say and say, see you next time kind of thing. So I'll insert the interview here. Dun, dun, dun. And then we'll end it here. (laughs) Okay. What uh, profound thing do you have to say, Craig? You know, I really don't know, but I, I, we've got, we've got one super fan out there. Yeah. Um, And, and, uh, John, like uh, the type of super fan that like um, gets tattoos of us on his arm. Oh, I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. We we could find out. <laughs> that I will pay him to put a. Oh, I, I just had a car go by. I didn't hear anything you just said. <laughs> I said I'll pay him to put a tattoo of our all the Tolly logo on his. Do we have a logo? Yeah, we have that the hammer. Oh, that's right. I forgot all about that. <laughs> it's been, so, old, yeah. Maybe yeah, we need to, we could have freshened it up. Who knows? But, uh, yeah, so, so, um, John Newswanger is like our top fan. Yeah. And it was, when I was, when I was working at their church over there in Salem, we were having like a Sunday school Bible study thing. And he said, uh, profound things might be said, but they'll be entirely by accident. <laughs> it's like, wait, who you've been listening to? Yeah, I love it. So, so we can be profound, but it has to be by accident. We can't do this on purpose. That's the only. That's the only way it ever happens. So maybe the closing thought is: tune in, see if anything accidentally comes out that's worthwhile. <laughs> Something. It's just. It's a risk. It's a gamble, and sometimes it pays off. So that's awesome. And uh, we'll also make sure we get links to Tom and Dwight, so you can follow there. Uh, their stuff and also uh, also in the closing remarks I'll mention that you there's uh, our music at the beginning and the end is brought to you by at the speed of sound uh, and you can support him on Spotify awesome awesome so I'm gonna stop the recording here and where is that it's up oh I moved things around there we go all right there it is. So uh, at the speed of sound or at the speed of darkness, I got it, I got it wrong. <laughs> anyway, oh, at the speed of, at the speed of darkness ahead. is um, oh. my son. Oh, awesome. Yeah. And so he's been he's been pumping out tons of digital music on um, on, on Spotify. Oh, I love and it. He had been um, invited and I don't know what the, the follow up is on this to provide soundtrack for a YouTube series. Oh, nice. oh, that'd be that'd be a good uh, steady job, but I think all that probably went kind of crazy during the COVID shutdown too. So, hey, that's really cool though. I like it. Yeah. And so I thought at, I, at one point I said, "Hey, can you just make a bunch of 
uh, transition music, you know, 30 minutes or a minute, I mean, 30 seconds to a minute long. We can, you know, cut and clip and I can use it, you know, for you know, intros, outros, um, transitions, you know, in a podcast. And he's yeah. like, wow, I've never done anything like that before. I said, well, try to, I sent him, I sent him a list of uh, like 96 emotions. Oh, nice. And I said, don't try to do all of these. Um, <laughs> but but try to find some that, you know, you, you haven't worked in before and, and create some other stuff. Because his, nice. his music tends to be kind of ominous. Mm. He's, a, <laughs> he's, he's, a, he's a real Antifa anarchist. Gotcha. Hey, Craig. Hello there. Good to meet you, my friend. You know, I, I'm trying to remember if you and I have actually ever met before. I, you know, I was trying to think that through. I mean, certainly we have a lot of people that we know in common. Yeah, we do. Uh, now, now, are you part of the Evergreen? I am. Church okay. in, in in Kirkland. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Because how on earth was, do you know that little church? <laughs> well, because I think I think maybe it was uh, 15 years ago I preached there. Okay. Wow. Um, so I don't know how long you had been there, but Stan Wise. Yeah, Stan's still there. Yeah. So he and I worked on a committee together for the Pacific Northwest Conference, Mennonite Conference. Yeah. And at some point, I guess they needed pulpit supply because I remember staying at his house and going to church there. Yeah. So. Yeah, I don't yeah. know if I would have been there 15 years ago. I don't okay. think so. Uh, and then I think... probably about five, four, three or four years ago, I stayed at a member's home. Huh. Well, I can't remember who it was, but I was at a conference up there. Gotcha. Uh, but but you're a, you're a Canadian Mennonite. I am. Yeah, I grew up in the in the Manitoba southern southern Manitoba area. Brandon was my hometown, but all my relatives are in Steinbach and Winnipeg and okay, Altona, yeah. so, Neverville. My my Mennonite ident identity was formed in Kansas. Okay. Around college, and so I can say things like Steinbach, Manitoba, <laughs> Saskatoon, Saskatoon. Absolutely. Oh, I love it. <laughs> Music to my ears. <laughs> yeah, you know, those Swiss Mennonites are just so confusing, but, uh, you know, those uh, Weeby Freezing Harders, I mean. Oh, yeah, there we go. <laughs> but, oh, wait, I forgot, up where you were, it's Weebs, not Weebies. Right, down where, yeah, that's right, we say Weeb. So, but, uh, oh, Weeby is funner to say. But, it uh, is. Well, it works with the joke about what happens to three Mennonites when they go to the North Pole. What did they say? Weeby Freezing Harder? <laughs> Had you not heard that joke before? Yeah, I think I've heard that one. It's okay. been a while, though. You know, there aren't as many Mennonites here in the Pacific Northwest, so uh, those yeah, jokes the joke doesn't, really, yeah. doesn't really work anymore. Yeah, I not here, Kansas, not in this context. So. Uh, that's, Good that's morning, awesome. Tom. Hi, Craig. Bomb How are here. you doing? I'm doing well. It's nice to have a chance to dance with you for a little, little while today. I think dance is the word. Uh, <laughs> reading through the book, and there's a lot of... I don't know how many times the word dance is used, but it's in there quite a bit. <laughs> yeah, it's in so, there. But we did a lot of dance just trying to get uh, get this thing scheduled together. So Well, I it sounds like you've been having a lot of transition in your world these days. So God bless you. Well, we when we first started, we had a podcast with three people. Then it went to four people. We had a really nice team approach. And then with transition, we went down to two of us. And then one of us ended up deciding that he couldn't participate any longer. So then I got another hmm. teammate to, to work with. And at kind of the last moment, uh, in fact, you, we had already begun conversations about trying to set up this interview. Then his congregation, he's a pastor, his congregation said, 
this is your first year as your pastor. We really don't want you to take on any extracurricular activities. Yeah. You're already busy with conference and denominational responsibilities. And so they kind of put the kibosh on, you know, on, mm. on that, which was wise. And I appreciated that. Yeah, sure. And largely because I did the interim work for that congregation. And that was kind of the advice I gave them. So I came back to haunt me, um, <laughs> which then put me back to, I don't want to do a podcast by myself because the worst thing in the world is just listening to my own voice. I really There's something beautiful about conversation, isn't there? Yeah. It's just, it's so, just true. And so um, one of the original uh, partners may be joining us in a bit today. His name is Cody. Okay. So uh, Cody might be, might, might be jumping on uh, Cody Stoffer and, you know, if he pops in, he'll say hi and, and, and jump in there like that. Now, now, Craig, are you pastoring currently as well? Well, yeah, we've got we've got a, a Mennonite church here in Meridian, Idaho, that's been here for about 20 years. Okay. And about five years ago, we went through a number of transitions. And, well, maybe five, five years ago they began, but about two years ago, the transitions ended up in basically eliminating everybody who participated in the church. That one. Hmm. People moved for jobs and you know, uh, health reasons, just had a kind of this, um, you know, travel away kind of a yep. kind of an exodus, exactly. which then asked, you know, we kind of asked ourselves, those of us who remain, the six of us who remain, what do we want to do? Right. And so we decided we are going to go through the replanting process. Nice. Yeah. And the Mennonite Church USA has a really good re replanting process. Huh. And we went through the education and the team building of that. And with this spring, in fact, I think March was like the big month. We're going to start, you know, our community outreach and interaction and develop networks out. And, yeah, and then COVID. And things happened in yep. March. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. So, oh my hey, let me tell you something. So we, we use Zoom for our podcast. Yep. Um, we we um, don't believe in editing, mainly because we're lazy and don't take the time. Yep. So everything and anything we say is kind of like on the record. Okay. So oh, will all of this be on it? Well, no, I can I can cut out the previous the 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 gap the at the beginning that kind of okay, stuff. Okay, sure. Unless we say something incredibly wise. Oh, uh, sure. Which you know that that's likely going to happen. Well, you know, I think it's, so. It's almost inevitable. Um, I would love to hear a little bit about who your audience is and what you know about your listenership, if you know anything. So we we had we had been going for a while, and then we went through these periods of transition. So we've, we're really having to recreate our audience. Oh, sure. But the audience we were trying to appeal to is almost like that second tier of church leadership. There's tons of uh, materials out there for, for pastors, for educators, for leaders. Yep. Um, and, and there's not a lot of stuff that speaks to um, kind of the regular person who has another nine to five job, um, you know, who's busy taking care of kids or, you know, involved in other areas of, you know, the community or life. And how do we communicate, um, you know, the, the reign of God to these people yep. and some of the difficult and challenging things the churches face. And so we, that's, so the title, the blue collar aspect of it was, you know, how do we relate to this, to the kind of like the non-professional clergy, you know, that I, I get away mm -hmm. from just that, that group. To the lay, so, lay leaders too. Yeah, definitely lay leaders. And, you know, um, it's, it's, so that's kind of that second level where the people actually do the discerning and the processing and the thinking yep. and kind of in that believer's church mentality, it's like, it's the people's work. Right. Uh, so how do we inform the people's, yeah. um, Love you know, that. expand that, 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 that horizon for them. And so one of our taglines is we stay away from big words, but not big ideas. Gotcha. Uh, that's, good. that's good. We're writing in this book for both uh, the, 
regular church leaders and the lay leaders, because lay leaders are often more influential these days in terms of the issues we raise in terms of neighborhood and community impact. You know, with that said, Tom, let me say hi officially hi. to you. And, and you and I had met briefly a couple of years ago when I was at a uh, Christ in uh, Cascadia conference. Okay. And I was with Andy Wade. Sure. And yeah. Andy and I were, dri were driving your wife, Christine, back to your house, I believe. Or oh, like okay, that. cool. And uh, I think you and I met briefly at that time. Okay, well, I was trying to remember if you and I actually met longer ago when I used to be uh, working for Ron Sider. Oh, sure. Yeah, yeah Ron's just changed the name. I don't know if you've heard. Uh, yes, I did. That, that, that's quite interesting. Yeah, yeah. No longer evangelicals for social action. Christians for social action. I, 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 I have mixed feelings about the name change. Um, but I completely understand it. <laughs> yeah, it's, it is understandable in these days. And yeah. you know the book that Ron has out right now, don't you? Uh, well, I don't know. I don't remember the title of his latest. It just came well, out over the Well, it's, it's, it's all about uh, our esteemed president. And so... Oh, and, I haven't seen that one, no. Oh, yeah. He has a, a whole retinue of evangelicals that write about their views and their they're oh. they're diverse right but, but it's uh, uh you know it's a different different focus for him of course yeah that's right so and where are you based greg i i'm in i'm in meridian idaho just outside of boise oh okay well uh, i'm i'm an idaho kid i was oh, are you i was born in pocatello lived in twin falls several other places spent a lot of time in blackfoot with my grandparents we right. came out to Homestead, but they couldn't prove out the land because the water was 200 feet below ground. Right. And my grandfather, Norman Geyer, was the only one of five brothers that didn't become a Methodist minister. He got a master's degree. I don't know what, but he engineered some of the first roads into Yellowstone. He ran a crew. Hmm. He learned to do that someplace. So I have Idaho connections and World War II. Uh, moved me to San Francisco. I decided to go with my parents when they relocated when I was yeah. six. So, <laughs> wow. Otherwise, I was. You, you, decide, you decided when you were six. <laughs> yeah, I, well, it's probably a good idea to go with them, you know? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so, there you go. But anyway, I just wanted to mention those connections because you don't have a lot of people uh, probably that you interview from Idaho Roots. No. No, we don't. Uh, well, we do have one that we do regularly, a friend of ours, Tom Ord. Oh, uh, sure. And uh, so we, we, we get to talk with Tom quite a bit, and he's a, he's a Idaho born and raised okay. guy. And, yeah. uh, but other than that, no, there's not a lot. <laughs> yeah, and can I just ask you, I heard you talking to my good amigo Dwight. Uh, you've had a chance to look at the book a little bit? Yes, yes. Okay. Any feedback or pushback? Because we haven't had much of either yet. Well, that's, that was two things. One is I think it's probably a difficult time to um, put out some material like this, which is, it seems kind of educational and conversational at a time when people aren't having gatherings for conversation yep. and, sure. and kind of future-oriented reflection. Sure. And so... It's like, I think it's important to talk about this book to let people know it even exists. Mm -hmm. um, 
because I had seen something on, on Facebook is where it first popped up and I saw your, uh, I think it was to like your page or something like that. And I looked into it and I thought this sounds like a great and timely thing. Mm -hmm. um, but I hadn't seen it anywhere else. And yeah. most everything else I've, I've known of yours, Tom, has been pretty widely uh, shared or, or yep. publicized. And I mean, my goodness, I was thinking about it last night. It was, you know, read the mustard seed conspiracy uh, back when I was in college. You would have been a young lad then. I was a young lad then, yes. And, uh, and it was interesting to find some of those phrases popping up in this book, too. Oh, yeah. I, I love to see that. I like to see that continuity. I think that's kind of a neat thing to see. Yeah. Yeah. It's just what we'll be talking about is we feel it's time for both lay leaders and established leaders to do what uh, business innovators do and uh, urban planners, environmental planners, and that's to really learn to do some forecasting right. instead of just kind of planning like it'll always be the 90s because we are going to get surprised by a lot of change and we don't need to be. We can anticipate some of those waves and then we have lead time to do something that church leaders don't do enough of and that's broadly research innovative responses. Uh, when, when um, so years ago, uh, 10, 15 years ago, I was working with an organization called uh, Church Innovations and it, it was speaking about some of these things. It didn't speak about it in the same way as uh, your book does with anticipation, reflection, and innovation. Innovation was set a little further toward the front, and sure. then it always felt like innovating and then spending so much time having to fine-tune what we already invested ourselves in. Sure. And it seems like the anticipation and reflection is, I mean, we did some of that as well, but it wasn't kind of a two-step the first two steps of the three-step dance. Sure. Um, and I really appreciate the dance metaphor as well, because it made me think, uh, dance may have three steps, but that doesn't mean after the third step, you just stand on the floor and wait for the music to end. <laughs> you right. gotta keep moving. Yeah, right. you gotta keep moving. Yeah. Uh, so I think one of the things that I, not, not so much pushback, but at least um, I, I would want to know more about is how do we do that kind of forecasting now, one of the groups that I uh, fellowship with a lot are church planters. Sure. And most of the church planters I know are, like myself, multivocational. Sure. Uh, I'm a professor. I'm a track coach. Uh, I'm a consultant. And when I've got time, I'm a church planter. Sure. And, and the forecasting piece for a lot of pastors, church leaders, and especially, like I said, that kind of second-level lay leader who has some leadership but is also involved with another career, yeah, how do they invest themselves in that forecasting? Can I just give you one quick example that I'm most concerned about? Dwight's heard me go, go on about this, but I'm deeply concerned about Gen Z. Uh, Gen <laughs> Y and Gen Z are the first digital generations, and because of that, they really do give a damn about neighbors, about racial justice, about environmental justice, uh, and a higher percentage of them want to use their lives for serious change-making. So I would encourage lay and established leaders to wake up to that. Most church leaders, all they know is that these people aren't going to affiliate with church. You know, the, uh, the research uh, from our friends that do that work, but they don't know the research of what their profile offers. So that's a, a bit of anticipating. Okay. But then it's anticipating um, 
the tremendous breakdown we're having in our cities now with so many people, particularly from minority backgrounds that are unemployed. And Gen Z, as they launch their lives now, they could be clobbered in the same way that the millennial generation was in the 0709 recession, because there aren't going to be jobs for them there. So the innovative opportunity is for churches and nonprofits to start creating opportunities for those young people as they graduate high school and college to be involved in neighborhood change making, you know, with nonprofits or others where they may not get much of a salary, but they're not stuck in the basement like the millennials were waiting for life to begin because the millennials are still, still way behind economically any other generation because right. of churches didn't get ready uh, to, for that generation when the recession hit. It, it didn't occur to them to anticip anticipate the impact. So that's where I think we need to start is with the young people that have so much desire and Dwight works with them all the time. And I get excited talking to him and learning how, how deeply invested they are in wanting to make a difference. And that's why the Parish Collective has been right. so, so successful. So I don't know if any of that makes sense, but it's a place it, to begin. It, it does, and it's a very large, it, there's a very big piece of that. There are some questions in that is, I mean, I can understand the forecasting and piece of it is also listening to those who are gonna be most impacted. You know, yeah. listening to that Gen Z. The yeah. other piece of it is we live in a time, um, well, one of the other consultants I used to work with was uh, Al Roxborough. Sure. And, um, I just probably, wrote him yesterday because oh, yeah? he hasn't gotten the copy of the book yet. And so I've oh, offered an electronic copy because the, the, the mail to Canada is exceedingly slow for, I think, some political reasons on this probably. stuff. The, uh, but he wrote, the sky is falling probably 20 years oh, ago, yeah. I think. Oh, okay. And, and it had some elements of that, but that's where the, 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 the topic, at least for me, was introduced of discontinuous change. Yeah. Oh, okay. There's certain things we can forecast. We might be able to see trends, but some things come along that are so out of the blue, like mm -hmm. the year 2020. Exactly. <laughs> so, I, wish I'd, I wish I'd remembered that word. That's a good one. Discontinuous change. That, yeah. You're right, because we're, we're facing some new things. I just heard on our uh, Bloomberg channel that the kind of environmental breakdown now is uh, going to be unsettling in some new ways that I hadn't heard before, particularly in areas in the Amazon and areas like that. But anyway, that's more complicated. Uh, Gen Z is close to home and right. like I'd like church leaders to discover those, those young people and instead of trying to get them into the pews, get them into neighborhood change making and then work back to see if they are interested in affiliating with followers of Christ. So, so Dwight, Tom, Tom indicated that you, you have some of these relationships with Gen Z folk. I mean, how do you see that, that playing out? How do you see that in their lives or in the lives of churches who are communicating with them or just your own experience? Yeah. Um, so, well, uh, can I ask a technical question? Are, are, are we recording already in a sense? Oh, or yeah, are I we... jumped, I, I, I'm sorry. Yeah. I didn't say, Hey, we're recording because everything was so good. <laughs> oh, okay. Um, <laughs> so by the way, we're talking with Dwight Friesen and Tom sign about their book, <laughs> 2020's foresight. Yeah. 
I'll have to put that at the beginning. (laughs) (laughs) Well, thank you, Craig. It's so great to be with you. And I really appreciate the emphasis of your, of your podcast and the idea of like putting sort of equipping us as everyday folks to, to think innovatively and creatively about what it means to follow Jesus into these times. Um, Well, in response to your question, um, you know, I do, well, I'm, I'm, a, I'm a professor, I get to work with a lot of young students and all that kind of thing, but the bulk of my research and work has to do with walking around neighborhoods with uh, parish leader, na- neighborhood pastors and parish leaders, many of whom are on the younger side of things, but not always. Um, and what's, what's striking to me in that whole work of anticipating that we were talking about, what is it to forecast and to look to the future, um, what we're really talking about is deep listening. Okay. Um, very often in, in, in church work or whatever, we jump to solutions and to sort of missional projects. Right. And we actually don't always do the deep work of actually listening and paying attention to what's happening and what's on the ground. Right. Um, and I think that's the thing that, that I see the parish leaders uh, doing and, le- and teaching me all the time. And uh, what is it to open up and to see what is, uh, to become curious about it, to foster an openness uh, to, um, to that which I don't understand yet, or I don't even quite have categories yet to understand, but to, but to believe that somehow the Spirit of God is active and alive and, and inviting me to discover um, what it might look like to follow Jesus into that space that I don't yet know, but is right there. Does that make sense? Yeah, yeah, it, but it also sounds a, a bit abstract, uh, but it sounds like a good foundation to begin your engagement. Yeah, well, I can give you a really practical, I mean, a, a slightly more practical uh, example, yeah. uh, and maybe uh, maybe Tom can jump in and, and add a story or two, well, I don't know, but, um, but uh, as, you know, as COVID has hit, uh, a lot of us are, uh, have been sheltering at home and have been uh, not able to go to work and school and church in the same ways that we used to, unless you're an essential worker. But a lot of us, what that's meant for me at least, has meant that I've walked my neighborhood even more than I used to. Um, so one of the things that I've done is just a, a practice for listening to my place. I drew a big map of my uh, neighborhood on a piece of cardboard, hung it and put it in my, in my little office space in my basement. And when I go for a walk, I keep a post-it note, I keep post-it notes in my pocket and I just not jot down things that I observe, things that are changing, things that are different, things that I'm seeing now that I didn't see before. Um, And I stick them on my map when I get home. And I I started to uh, put down places that I, businesses that closed or stories that I heard of people getting sick or losing their jobs or in some cases passing away. more recently, as uh, Black Lives Matter began to I- invite a kind of uh, awakening of racial dynamics in our country, I began jotting down stories of oppression in my neighborhood and conflict and all that kind of stuff, just to see on my map of my neighborhood, of where I live in everyday life, how things are changing. I don't have a solution for it yet. I don't have a response yet, but I just wanted to open up and listen to be able to anticipate if that if, 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 if what I'm seeing today is different than yesterday, what might that invite of tomorrow? It, it made me think of something that was kind of the thing 15, 20 years ago called uh, prayer walks. Yes. Uh, church planters were said, you know, walk through your neighborhood and pray for the houses as you walk by, the businesses. Sure. You know, maybe get to know them, keep them in prayer. But what I hear you also saying, Dwight, is keep note, keep track, uh, be aware over time. Yes. Yeah. So it's it's it can be prayerful, but it also is uh, what's what I'm looking for. Almost has kind of a 
quantitative uh, yes. aspect to it. Well, I, I love the, the map. I, uh, Dwight, I haven't heard this before, and I love the idea of having a map where you actually post what you're seeing, what you're learning, what you're ex experiencing. And the only dimension I'd add to that is um, trying to talk to people in the neighborhood that are working with seniors, that are working with Gen Z, Y and Z, people who, and ask them what challenges are likely to face. People who are in retirement, uh, young people that are starting out, what are the challenges in the next five years? Yeah. Uh, nothing terribly, and it's called probability forecasting. Mm -hmm. What are the probable challenges that are likely to face them? And then to step back from that and say, then what are some innovative ways to respond? And one of my deep critiques of so many of our churches is they don't even look over the fence into other denominations to discover the good stuff that they're doing, let right. alone look at the larger society. But what I'm urging in the book is really serious research on innovative practices. Uh, so that when we try to help young people launch, uh, we, we can offer them a range of possibilities from starting social entrepreneurship models to being involved in something overseas. And I think you have another guest. And so I'll oh, give it It's back. okay. We can ignore Cody for a while. Okay. He, he's, he's, he's my associate. He's, he's going to listen in and catch up. He had some UMC meetings or something going on today. Okay, Cody, good to, good to meet you. And so anyway, if we can help people anticipate some of the bumps that could be ahead, then we do have lead time to research right. and identify a range of new options to find those that have the most potential uh, for empowerment and things that really reflect the ways of Jesus. So part of one of the things that I feel like is perhaps an underlying uh, critique of the existing church is either a um, it doesn't take the time to reflect it uh, uh, what working when I consult with the Presbyterians it seems they more than any other have this this saying about themselves when 1958 comes back we'll be ready uh, <laughs> and, well, and, uh, and and it's this idea that we're going to keep doing the things we do because that's what we do we do right, this sure. And uh, it worked at one time. It doesn't have the same results now, but it's our, our tradition. It's the way we do things. Yeah. Maybe we Mennonites could be four-part acapella singing. <laughs> it's the way we do things. It's, it you know, may not communicate anymore, but it's the way we do things. Sure. Uh, you know, each of us has these aspects that we, we just hold on to rather than thinking about, well, what, what is it doing as far as uh, being a part of God's, uh, you know, reign and realm? And so part of, part of what I hear in some of this is maybe a critique on those churches that don't reflect or don't anticipate, reflect, and, and innovate. On the other hand, I also hear a critique maybe of those who do, but they don't do it from the correct posture or standpoint. So for instance, is there, is there a difference between a church that wants to um, anticipate, reflect, and innovate simply to drive more numbers into their door? you know, to just be, uh, or to become a cultural influencer like, like mega churches. Uh, you know, are there mixed motives that turns that uh, anticipate, reflect, and innovate into a, just a commercial venture? 
And, uh, well, part of what we're trying to do in the book, because even though I'm not from Mennonite background, I'm deeply grateful to the Anabaptist tradition that's a part of Dwight's history, uh, because it's a call to a more serious whole life faith. And one of the things I'm concerned about is that many evangelical and mainline Christians have so succumbed uh, to the aspirations of culture and Instagram envy that, for example, they're still raising their kids to do the American dream and expect to have a house 20% nicer than mom and dad's with right. closets as big as small bedrooms. Well, that bird's not going to fly any longer. And we need to wake people up that that isn't a reality. And if the young people try to do that dream, they may not have any money for their own kids to go to school right. or retire on. So we need to join the Anabaptist and redefining for followers of Jesus, what does the good life look like? Is it all about Instagram envy and, and upscaling, or is it about a, a way of life where we free up both time and resource to be present to, to our neighbors and care for our creation and have some time? Because the, the concern that I'm not hearing talked about these days, we know about declining and graying churches, right. but I'm not hearing much about declining levels of participation with scripture and prayer and going on retreats to refocus our lives. And that needs to be central. You know, I think so, for me, uh, okay. one, of the, one of the things that, I mean, although there is, a, there is kind of an implicit built-in critique in some ways in the, book, in the book itself, but that's not really our, that wasn't really our intent in writing it. Um, yeah. You know, by most accounts, 2020 <laughs> is just an awful year. <laughs> like it's we keep hoping that it'll end and it seems like every time we open the newspaper or turn on the tv or open our feed we're hearing yet another piece of horrible news and it's like amen and so many of us are caught off guard and we're afraid we don't know what to do and we, we, we our tendency is to want to despair or to curl up inside ourselves and get defensive yeah but that's not what we understand as the invitation of god and then actually in the Christian tradition, we have a deep, deep uh, practice of not giving into fear, but of trying to, trying to discover a way of love. And part of that begins, with, oddly enough, with listening and receiving what's happening. And then wondering, how could this, whatever this is, uh, be an invitation from God to discover a new way of love in, an, in a way that we had never, never thought about before? Um, and then... How, what might that love invite of us in terms of action or belief or practice or posture or service? And that's really what we want to do. Like we want to put into the hands of everyday people tools to see the, what could be really terrifying and to see it instead as an opportunity to join yeah. God in the renewal of all things. Cause that's what we think is ultimately this is about. So like I picture this book, not just in the hands of pastors and leaders in any kind of official capacity, but like I was, I was thinking like you think of a Sunday school teacher with like third grade students in their classroom, probably meeting on Zoom right now, right? right. Um, they, they, they go through a book like this, have a little conversation in their, own, in their own Bible study or whatever they're doing, right? They get with their Sunday school class and they, and they simply ask a simple question of their kids like, what do you think it's going to be like to be in school this fall? You can't play on the playground in the same kind of way you used to. You can't be with your teacher in the same kind of way. The, the way you, I mean, what might that look like? And just anticipate 
Yes. They, 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 they have an idea. They're not forecasters, but they can imagine what it might feel like, yes, how it might do. make them feel sad or angry or whatever it might be. Right. And, and then to ask a Jesus question, what might the way of Jesus invite in that moment? What do you think that might look like to, to, to see that being an invitation from God in some way? So then what, what could we do together? How could we as a little community of third graders nudge one another <laughs> to following Jesus into our classroom, into the playground, right? It's, the, it's so yeah. simple. It's so yeah. simple. That's very, very simple. I like that. I do too. And hey, uh, Greg, just let you Greg. know. Greg, I'm sorry. <laughs> that happens uh, all the time. Yeah, too much coffee this morning. Uh, but uh, the book is designed as a study book. And right. White was sharing and questions at the end of the chapter. And uh, your listeners need to know that uh, we are on occasion available to zoom in to any groups that are studying it and cause a little chaos in the discussion group or something. Well, I, I know that excites Cody. He's been having uh, wonderful guests every Sunday for their Sunday school time. He'll Zoom them in and uh, have some really interesting conversations. Awesome. Well, we would love to jo join Cody and his crew. So uh, just mention that because um, we're not going to be flying any place on the <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I seldom, as an ancient guy, I seldom leave the house. I walk around the neighborhood. We do a two-mile walk every morning, and we'll do that again once the air clears up from yeah. Oregon and California burning. But, uh, but we, uh, we need to find ways to connect. So we're available, uh, and I'm more available than Dwight is because he's a full-time professor at Seattle School, but we'd both like to have a chance to join some of the readers. That's great. Yeah, and I did notice that. I mean, that made it, it makes it a very practical book with those questions after the chapters. Yeah. Uh, it's, it's, it reinforces the idea, oh, don't just read this to get some content. Uh, read this to engage in conversation. That's right. And be, be involved in a process of reflection and creativity. Yeah. yeah. Well, one of the things I just wanted to ask about the out the the plan of the book, you know, if it, so if somebody goes and picks up the book, they're they're interested in the topic, and they look at the table of contents. And one of the things I I noticed just looking at the table of contents that caught my attention was um, it goes, you know, chapter two anticipation, chapter three reflection, chapters four, five, six, and seven are about innovating. Um, there's there's a real emphasis on um, I wouldn't say an imbalance or overemphasis, but there's an emphasis on making this happen, making something real, and then right. providing examples of what that looks like. Well, and that's where we try to take it uh, area by area, how to create our best lives. Because uh, I was very impacted by Ron Sider's first book and the people that really started pursuing a whole life faith. And right. that was a wake up call for me how to pursue our best communities, because I think we're going to need to create a range of new living options uh, because the single family detached house isn't gonna work for everybody. And I think we're aware that retirement facilities, people all the same age isn't always a good idea. And so Christine and I live in an intergenerational household, you may remember, mm -hmm. and it's no big deal. It's three floors and three couples, and we have younger people live with us. We give them a little break on the rent, and they help us out with the garden. But we try to model a different kind of hospitality. We have a 
our time of prayer and reflection every week, but we're going to need a range of new models. And so for people, young people that are starting out that are going to be architects to design some new ways of providing shelter that's less expensive, but more collaborative, because I think the waves are gonna to continue to be tough through the total 220s and probably beyond. And so isolated individualism is not going to be a very healthy or fruitful way to live. We're going to need more people in our lives. So it's a, it's a design opportunity. And then what uh, Dwight and his amigos do with uh, the, uh, the whole parish collective movement, it's all over the world now, of working in neighborhood change making. The opportunity then, if we can reduce, if we can free up some time and resource, we can be available to our neighbors and do the kinds of stuff the Parish Collective is doing. And then the last chapters, you know, is about creating our best churches because we're not gonna be building many structures in the future. So it's an opportunity to reimagine what is the church for and, you know, what is there besides churches where we're just locked into building maintenance? What, right. And so yeah. it's an opportunity to rediscover the church uh, perhaps going back to the home, which the house church movement did in Britain for two decades. So you know, for me, I'm a practical theologian and uh, I, I am both of those. I try to be both of those things. Um, but sometimes I, I default towards the theological um, just because it's in some ways it's easier. It's easier to go to theory than to go practical. Um, and there's, there's part of me that would have loved to have written more on the anticipating and the reflecting. The reflecting stuff for me is sort of that theological space where I could have, I could have waxed eloquent uh, for pages and pages. Amen. But our sense was that we needed to spend more time on the innovating in precisely because that's, that we're trying to invite or dare people to imagine that following Christ isn't just a spiritual thing that it touches every aspect of life. It's every, every moment is a dare. Yeah. Uh, you know, lately I've been thinking about when, um, when Moses was in that um, sort of that desert spirit experience of his life, he hadn't started to lead the people of God yet um, out, of, out of captivity. And he was no longer in Egypt working with Pharaoh. And God comes to him and he says, asks him that simple question of what's in your hand. And of course, what was in his hand was a shepherd's staff. It was his everyday work. It was his, it was his, in a sense, it was his blue collar, right? Right. He was a shepherd. He was working with, with livestock. And, and it was exactly what was in his hand that was the key to his next step, right? And so here we are in this, in this sort of liminal space, this in-between, this like interruption to life as we've known it, that is COVID, that is Black Lives Matter, that is whatever's happening in our time, in our time these days. And our, we, we put the emphasis on those four chapters of innovation precisely because we sense that, the, that these crises are, is, a, is, is God coming to us and saying, what's in your hand? That's right. Is it, are you a public school teacher? Are you a stay-at-home parent? Are you a truck driver? Are you a pastor? It doesn't matter. What's in your hand? That's the place to begin. Um, lean in and imagine it as being an invitation from the spirit to join um, in the reconciliation of that, which is most painful. We follow a risen Christ, right? And part of what that is, is a dare not to let death scare us, 
but to look at the thing that is most terrifying and saying, because of Christ's resurrection, I will not turn away. I will not flinch. I will move toward this scary thing in the hope that God will do something new. And so the question I think that this book is asking is, what is in your hand and how can you join the change-making revolution that God is always about? Amen. That'll preach. That's, 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 that's good. Yeah, all of life, all of life, just my amen is to see all of life as a design opportunity. Yeah. But to do that, we've got to find ways to free up time and resource from our normal lives so that we can be present as the followers of Jesus in a time of amazing disruption. Yes, yes. One of the things I'm finding is I think, so, so I mentioned our church is going through a replanting process. Mm-hmm. That's gotten, you know, everything was good until 2020. Um, <laughs> um, but one of the things that we, and let me put it this way, this book gives me language to talk about some of our experiences as, as a church. Because as we recommitted ourselves to planting, we looked around the room and looked at who, who, was, who was there, who was wanting to engage in this project. And one of the, the things that immediately came to mind is six out of 10 of us were involved in public education. Mm. And what surprised me before is I had never uh, so explicitly said, we're all involved in public education. Hmm. I think God is leading us to do something with the schools that we connect with in our school district. And it was so odd. It was, this, um, it was a little bit of a, a kind of this embarrassed, like, how could we have missed this? Hmm. Uh, but it was it, taking, taking your example of Moses, what's in your hand? I mean, that was an aspect of our reflection um, I think in some ways, though, we're still looking at the anticipation piece. What are we going to do with it? What, what yeah. does the innovation look like? Yeah. We've all maintained our relationships with the public schools. We've developed some things that we've done with our small gathering of resources to assist students who are homeless or you know, need, need simple you know, backpacks or books or coats and things like that. But that's, that's this process we're in. And I think that gave me, you know, this book kind of gives us language for the process that we've been engaged in. Well, and anticipating what are some of the challenges that are likely to face the kids that are from minority background and may not go on to college and have a harder time uh, finding work in, in a world like this. So anticipating that, but also anticipating the ones that are going on to college and help them find other options because one of the crises we're facing from the, since the millennial generation started going to school, the school that young people are graduating with is really compromising their futures. That uh, I ran into, uh, Christine and I spoke at a, at a state university in Pennsylvania and two young women, I had them share at the annual banquet to share their debt level. And both of them had over $80,000 worth of debt for a state university. My God, how are they going to launch their exactly. life? Right. Uh, that's, that's dreadful. Yeah. And so church leaders need to ask, what is in your hand? And that we need to help young people anticipate and find other options. Uh, I, for some years, was referring people to colleges in New Zealand where you were paying half the amount for a private college education and having a, a, a rich uh, intercultural experience. Right. But we need to identify new possibilities 
so that young people don't get saddled with such huge debt that getting launched is, is impossible. I, th I think sometimes the word innovation can see, feel threatening. It can feel like a really big word, as though I need to find the grand solution. Well, that's not very mm. good language, but like I need to find like um, some, something big, right? Right. In most cases, innovation is small little experiments. Um, for instance, there's a little church, uh, uh, there's a youth pastor in Bend, Oregon, um, and on her bulletin board in their church, but this was before COVID, on one half of the bulletin board, it says, I have extra. And on the other half, it said, I need. And it was basically a space designed to encourage people to uh, mm. share what, what they have or, you know, create a gift economy, that kind of a thing, right? Right. When COVID hit, they took something that they were already doing and they put it into, they, they sort of launched it into the Facebook world. It took off overnight. I mean, it became what's now called um, uh, pandemic partners and it's been featured on NPR and uh, they have like, they, they mobilized like 12,000 people in Bend to participate in giving wow. and sharing stuff that they already had. And it created a whole context of sharing. Yes. It was simply saying what's on our hand and just like finding us, it was a small little thing. She didn't even know what she was doing. She simply said on Facebook, hey, we have this thing uh, that we do in our church. Let's think about how we could do that with our neighbors. Right. And why is she, is she doing that full time now? No, oh, she's still a youth pastor. Oh, is she? Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, this is just, uh, this, is, this is her side hustle. This is her, uh, her name is, her name is uh, Morgan Schmidt. Um, and she just got ordained as a Presbyterian. Yeah, I heard that it had gotten very, very big for her as a major part of what she was doing. But the, but the whole idea is, like, none of us know what the answers are. Who right. knows what to do in the midst of COVID? No, I don't know. But every once in a while, something will come, like the spirit will whisper, you know, like, notice your neighbor. Go over and just say hi to Hazel. How is she doing? Does she need something? Could I go to the store for her? Yeah. I mean, we're not talking big stuff. I mean, it might emerge, it might evolve, but it's like, what are those small invitations of the Spirit of God wooing us toward presence, toward faithfulness, towards expressing love when fear might want to rule the day? You know, you know that 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 reminds me of something uh, from the book. Um, it just triggered something. I thought it's a great quote, and I wanted to put it out there. Um, and it's in the, the chapter invitation that says resist the Christendom assumption to claim leadership. Don't take charge. Don't cast a big vision for your alternative future. Rather listen, love, attend, respond. But that thing about don't cast a big vision for this alternative future. It's kind of like just little things matter. Yes. Also, it almost sounds like it, it does sound like this pandemic, um, what was it called in Ben? The pandemic. The pandemic partners. Partners, yeah. It wasn't. It wasn't holding on control. It was giving it out. It was giving it to the community. Yep. Um, involved some participation for sure, yep. and maybe some leadership, but it's also not control. But that's right. That's yeah. right. And I think that's one of the great challenges for many of us in the church, in the in the Christian tradition. You know, um, we often have sought. To, to achieve our missional end. Uh, and, we set, and, and so we often jumped to our innovation, our solution, before we actually did deep listening to what, the real, what was really being invited. And, and then to ask, really ask, 
who are we becoming if we engage in this in this activity in the way that we're planning to that reflection piece is about our not only about what could be done but it's also about who we become yep. how, how do we engage in what we're going to experiment with so that we actually become more like christ so yeah. that we become more humble more serving more loving as a result not more powerful not more about more ego driven or more accomplished like how do we take the small how do we take the, the sort of yeah take the, take the, take the road toward faithfulness not toward fame or something like that you know and, like and even less less than fame i know as a as a church planting pastor i would like to take the road toward a um, a regular income <laughs> yes you know, and, <laughs> that's, and that's I important to too continually back and push that thing down you know that no that's not the motivation yeah. you know, but it's in there and i have to be honest that it is right let me just mention something because we're very much uh focused as we should be on black black lives matter but the covenant church swedish denomination yeah discovered at the beginning of the millennium that they were an all-white denomination and they made a decision for their first church at the beginning of the millennium to become multiracial, and partly through the influence of Sojourners Magazine and Jim Wallace. And then they decided to create a denominational church planning effort where it was only multiracial church plants. And they are now a much more uh, complete multiracial church. And I ache because other denominations don't look over the fence into things that God is stirring up. But mm -hmm. in this Black Lives Matter world, uh, they are much more up to date with where things are going than a lot of denominations that are still predominantly white. But right. it's just, I would love them to learn about, we talk uh, in the book, we write about Journey to Mosaic, which is a leadership training program where they get people on a bus once a year, leaders in the Covenant Church of all races and cultural backgrounds. And they start in inner city Oakland, California with African-American communities, Pentecostal churches, hear their stories, hear their struggles. They get back on the bus, they sit next to somebody from a different cultural background and process. Then they go to where the farm workers are in the valley in, in Fresno and they hear their stories of struggles. They get back on the bus, they process, they head to LA. My goodness, that's a, a remarkable way for light and leadership yes. training. And other denominations don't know about it because they're not looking over the fence at best practices throughout the country. So that's part of the innovation that I ache for is for yeah. churches to start more broadly researching so that we can be up to, you know, we can really journey with those that are dealing with the serious issues of race and culture. What, what do you see as the mechanism to make it possible to look over that fence? Part of it is just the will to, to do it and, and to, to do that. Well, but it's so easy, it, what, what, at least I know in, in my perspective of my tradition, Dwight may have a different uh, perspective, but we tend to be a bit, um, sectarian perhaps okay and we mm -hmm. we often convince ourselves that we're so different from the rest of the denominations that we can't look at the presbyterians or the methodists or the baptists or whomever mm -hmm. 
because we're just so different and we need to put everything through our Anabaptist filter. And as a, I, I only say that because I spend so much time consulting among all those other groups. Sure. And then when I come back and share some of the insights with my Anabaptist friends, they'll go, well, you know, is, is that very Mennonite? It's like, <laughs> that's not the point. Yeah. So what are some of those barriers and how do we look over that wall? Well, there's a, probably a lot of different responses to it. I think that the most, if in my experience, the, the thing that has been most powerful and the reason, the, one of the reasons why I've dedicated so much of my energy to what has become known as the parish collective is because the neighborhood, the place where you actually are, is the ground on which uh, connections can be forged um, right. in a way that uh, ideologically, like ideologically, Organizations don't partner well with other organizations. So the Mennonite Church doesn't partner well with Presbyterians, and they don't pass per partner well with the Islamic community or whatever. Even the public school system, because the systems, the the institutions are they have different purposes and and, and goals. What happens in the neighborhood, when you pay attention to what's actually happening on the ground with real people who you live right next door, the ideological differences don't matter as much. Like right next door to me, immediately around in the eight houses that I live, that, that my house is surrounded by, all eight are first generation Americans. And there's six different religions represented in that group. And yet we desperately need each other. We need each other now more than ever. And if we were trying to ideologically agree Hazel wouldn't get her toilet paper. <laughs> That's not the point. Right. The point is that um, right now, my the invitation that I feel is to love God by loving my neighbor as myself. Um, and somehow I think the ground is not institutional, but it's actually the people that we live next door to. What is it for us to join together in the things that we, are, that we feel are a crisis? And how do we become part of an, uh, an alternative innovative shalomic or kingdom of God kind of response uh, in the midst of that. I think, I think the neighborhood, I mean, I mean, it's not the only thing, but it certainly is a key to overcoming those barriers. Ideology is not going to help us. Church right. tradition is not going to help us in that regard, other than giving us a narrative. Like, like look at the Anabaptist tradition of, of, um, of, sort of the communal hermeneutic, the things that we do together, the, the, the reading the Bible uh, in an open kind of way and listening and discerning together. These are powerful things in our narrative that actually equip us as Mennonites uh, to actually listen and join um, if we'll uh, ground ourselves in the real. I think one of the things to distinguish perhaps there is to separate the bureaucratic institutional from the narrative. Yes. We, we have things in our stories that are really precious Yes, um, that's right. In fact, all the work I did with Presbyterians, even though well I'm not a Calvinist, I picked up a lot about providence, about yes. trusting the providence of God. You know, it added another language. It wasn't institutional, bureaucratic it was part of their story. Yes. And it, it made sense. And so I think that's perhaps part of what I hear. Yeah. And uh, uh, I think that seminaries for Mennonites, Presbyterians, all of the different stripes could provide an opportunity to show people how to learn from the innovations in different traditions because there's a richness there mm -hmm. and they you know i think to train people to look over the fence and and to learn from the new possibilities and the young people are more open to this we have a church here in the area that dwight has had connection with too mountain valley which is a church in an a predominantly black community in South Seattle, and they bought a building downtown, 
And instead of a regular church, they bought it as a co-working space. So they rent it out during the week. It's also the art center for the neighborhood. Uh, this is very innovative because it's a place where people come together in the neighborhood. And then on Sunday, they, of course, they have a, a worship service, and it's actually a Methodist church. But that kind of openness comes from researching and being aware of the breadth of what God is doing in culture and not just being locked into traditions without re without that kind of uh, openness to the, the new innovation that a new generation is particularly interested in connecting with. Yeah. You know, that, I, uh, can I ask a question real quick? Oh, Cody, good to hear Cody. from you. <laughs> I, uh, so I want to kind of shift a little bit to more of the, so I got to tell you, as a pastor in the middle of COVID right now, that's all I'm doing right now is innovation, innovation, innovation. Yeah, yeah. And God so when I hear you. the word innovation, I just get tired right now. So <laughs> in your, I haven't read the book yet, but do you talk about in there anything about uh, some, some rest and renewal and any type of practice that fuels innovation by taking a step back from always being innovative or whatever? Well, part of what uh, I talk about in the book, uh, Christine and I have been very impacted not only by the Anabaptist tradition, but by the Celtic Christian tra tradition that uh, has a, a rich approach to a spirituality that is not, does not re revolve around a utilitarian notion of uh, seeing creation as just the stuff we use, mm. uh, the, you know, to build our campers and uh, build our houses and set up our campers. And so I think taking time for retreat is important. And Christine and I go on prayer retreats four times a year. We recommend everyone take, uh, find a weekend at least once or twice a year, uh, just to be present to God and to listen to God's call in the times we're in, that we bring the challenges we're facing today and tomorrow into that place yeah. And asking for God's Holy Spirit to ignite our imaginations, to imagine new ways to live, to do hospitality, the kinds of wonderful things Dwight is doing in his neighborhood. I just am so impressed with that and the Parish Collective. Mm -hmm. uh, these are people that have, out of their spirituality, have found time for, for neighbors in a way I've never seen in years. And well, it's, it's not just that we find time, right? Like. Uh, Cody, I think your question is so key because there's there, this is why we call it. This is why we refer to the the the, the um, anticipating, reflecting, and innovating as a dance because the goal is not to work ourselves into a frenzy. Part nope. of the listening is listening not only to neighbor, but to God and to yourself. Jesus said, "Love God, love your neighbor, and yourself." If we're not listening to what's happening in our own heart and our own lives and our own interpersonal relationships, let alone our relations with all the facets of the ecosystem that sustain us. Like the invitation is always to become present. So what does it, what is it, what's the invitation when you, when you discover that you're working so hard? To be, I mean, Cody, I don't know you, but you're a pastor. So I have a sense, right? You love people, right? You give yourself to them. 
And often the tendency is to lose yourself in the process, right? <laughs> we know that. I mean, <laughs> I'm, a, I'm a pastor myself. I always say was. The dare is, to re- is always to discover what is it to become the whole person so that you can actually be the person of love that you want to be. Actually, that's one of the things that's been a surprising gift of COVID, right? So many people who were running around, traveling, running from meeting to meeting to sports practice to whatever, are for the, maybe for the first time in their adult lives, slowing down, staying right. home, having meals with their kids and their family or their partners or whatever. And all of a sudden they're asking some questions about, well, what is the good life? What do I want to be about? What do I want to do? And there's a weird way in which right now as spiritual leaders or pastors or small group leaders or Sunday school teachers, we have the chance to help people reflect on that stuff and to maybe take account and say, what kind of life do I want to live? Amen. Maybe COVID is the, is, a, is the gift that no one ever, I mean, it's not a gift. It's a horrible yeah. thing. I hate it. Right. But through it, you know, God does what God does and somehow takes those things that, you know, in the Joseph story that man meant for evil and uses for good. Like, how is it that even this can be a shalomic design opportunity to create a more desired life? Well, um, I think one of the things I, I need to do, we've used an hour of our time, and uh, I think this conversation could go on and on and on, because I really enjoyed uh, hearing from you guys and l- learning more about the book, but also the wider themes of it. I think as a closing thought, I think one of the, I want to pick up on one thing and kind of hear Dwight and Tom talk about maybe Cody as well because of that question he asked uh, but Cody's driving and he's got his girls in the car you know <laughs> hi girls uh, but uh, the dance I think is a powerful metaphor uh, and one of the things I think of you know pastors like Cody and other pastors I know who are are exhausted because of the ongoing in, in innovation sometimes it to me I'm thinking about the pace the rhythm the beat you know this dance who is the one who says, this is the tune we're going to play now, and it's a lot slower? This is going to be a slow dance. Yeah. Uh, because, you know, I think if we pay attention to, you know, we soak up media, news, the neighborhood, our own personal desires, uh, our, our relationships, our spouses, all of a sudden the beat is is so fast. Um, so... I think part of it picks up on the retreat, the personal time, but how do we get the music of, for this dance to a pace that we can withstand and, and more than withstand, it's life-giving. Right. Why, why don't you start this one? Well, I mean, first of all, Craig, I just, I love that. I love playing with the metaphors, right? Cause that's, that's where it gets kind of fun. Um, so I, I think, I think it's helpful to think like if you've ever watched one of those like dance with the stars kind of shows, dancing can look like when people are really good at it, it's effortless and beautiful. And you can modulate between times of fat speed and times of slowness and it's stunning, but I'm a white Canadian Mennonite. I didn't (laughs) grow up dancing. I'm clumsy. I'm awkward. I'm, finding my groove. I have a hard time clapping in time, let alone moving gracefully. The invitation is, for me, is a time of learning and experimentation and discovering what it is for me to find my feet and to find my, my, my feet and what's, uh, uh, what's being invited, you know. Fortunately, um, I think the Spirit of God is, is, I think, is the dance partner. 
in in my the way I envision this, and and I think that the context is kind of the music. I'll I'll just throw this out there as my metaphor for now, and I'll just we'll see how it goes. Um, I think the spirit of God is teach is is wooing us to join the spirit, to be to live faithfully into the 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 music of our times. Um, and some people are more adept at that than others, but that's not the point. The point is, will I stay with my partner? Will I learn to let my partner lead me and guide me? And like, when, I, when you watch it, <laughs> when, you, when, you, when you dance with someone who is really good, they make you better. When I, ta- when I try to take the lead, I'm gonna, I'm gonna mess it up and I'm gonna step on toes. But if I can learn to follow the gentle leading of the spirit, I'm, I'm going to find life. It's going to be fun. It's going to be beautiful. And it might even be inspiring to those who get to watch. Um, but the question is, will I stay? And will I listen? And will I respond to the invitation of the Spirit? And I think that's always the question for us. Um, I think I know solutions. I want to jump to solutions. The hard work is really listening. Um, it's, I think it's almost ironic that the primary way that one of the primary ways that God reveals God's self to us is as listener. God hears our cries. He hears our prayers. God orients God's self around receiving us. And yet we so often orient around our, ourselves to the world in proclamation and in, uh, in sort of acts of service as though we missionally know what's needed. If we could learn to listen the way God listens, I think our actions would demonstrate the kind of love that we have known from Christ. White, I have nothing to add to that. That's a wonderful conclusion for our time. And we really appreciate uh, the opportunity, Craig. And thank you for providing this conversation. And we'd love to hear back from the people that are listening. Thank you, Dwight, for that. A lovely, lovely conclusion. I think it makes me think the next book might be uh, Ecclesiochoresis. You know. <laughs> I like it, Craig. Church that, dancing, yeah. So. That seems like a book for Mennonites to write, doesn't it? <laughs> and, 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 yeah, really. I think that's a good one. Uh, yeah, but what we also need is a, it needs a soundtrack. <laughs> Four-part harmony. Here we come. <laughs> yeah, it could be. It could be. Well, thank you, friends, for uh, for joining us, and I'm I'm glad Cody was at least able to listen for in. For sure, he uh, got one question thrown in there. It was a good uh, one too, man. Thank one, you. Really important one too. Uh, yeah. Keeps it grounded. So, um, again, uh, thank you so much for being with us, and we will uh, probably be in touch. It'd be great to be you know check in with you from time to time. Well, Craig, and, uh, we'd love any feedback or pushback you get. And feedback and pushback is welcome, yes. And I have a little website, uh, newchangemakers.com, and I'm always looking for stories that I can tell of churches that are finding uh, fresh, innovative ways to follow Jesus in times like these. So um, keep... So what, I'd, what I'd like to ask you guys to do is if you do have some of those uh, resources, like websites, I know there's a Facebook uh, page for this book, some of those other things, I want to make sure we put those links in the pro, in, in the podcast uh, mm-hmm. write-up. Yep. Uh, and, and that uh, needs to include the parish collective. Uh, we'll, oh, yeah. uh, we'll send you some links. We'll send you some, some web addresses and that kind of stuff for sure. That'd be great. Yeah. 
So it's so good to uh, see you again, Tom. It's been quite a while. It's great it's to meet you, Dwight. Me it's too. nice to know that after mingling around um, in the same circles, we finally get to at least meet face to face. That's awesome. All right. Okay. Hey, thanks Peace for the nice to be with, Have a nice day. with you guys. Peace. Bye-bye. Bye now. Yeah. So let me show you my face mask and you'll probably appreciate it. <clears throat> So first I'll show you my shirt because it's based from the same stuff. So you know Woody Guthrie, right? Yeah, the and, original uh, Antifa. That's right. And his buddy, Pete Seeger. Yeah. And they, so Pete Seeger would have on his banjo this. I don't know if you can see my shirt. Oh yeah, get, get a little closer. I can't really see what it says. Machine surrounds hate and forces it to surrender? Yes, this machine. Oh, this machine. I didn't see the this. Okay. And it's written on his banjo. That's cool. But he was copying Woody, who wrote on his guitar. Oh, yeah. What did he have? I remember. Can you read it? It's, it's kind of wrinkled. I'll fold it flatter. Oh yeah, this machine kills fascists. So, um, so how? Where have you worn that, and how has it gone? <laughs> I wore it to Walmart. I wore it to the grocery store. That's closer. Um, <clears throat> where else did See, I, I wonder if there would be a better word like "apofa." <laughs> you know, I'm opposed to fascists. Yeah, I know. Well, so his. You know, if you understood it was written on his guitar, then you understand it didn't mean literally killing people, but more like well, changing you, their. Yeah, what was. Yeah, the, the music. His, yeah. His guitar. Yep. Mm -hmm. Guitar. Yep. 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 Well, ha so, have, you, yeah. have you followed? Are you familiar with the Happy Givers? Mm, that sounds familiar. Like maybe I've seen it. They have a lot of. Um, they really do a lot on Instagram. Yeah, happy posts givers. And, and, and creating memes. I probably but they are an orphanage in Puerto Rico Ooh. that has, you know, creates shirts and mugs and hats and things like that with, with really cool quotes and things like that on it. Yeah. Um, and that's how they support, that's one of the ways they support the orphanage. That's awesome. But they, they've, they've, they've got some really uh, good masks. They've had some Black Lives Matter kind themed things. Yeah. Um, but then the one that, um, two, of, two of the ones I have, two of the masks, one just says, be kind. Yes. Okay. And it's weird because when you're wearing a mask, you really don't think about your mask when you're going up and down the grocery store lines. Yeah. And then somebody looks at you and they stare because it's like, why are you staring at me? Yeah, right. It's like, oh, yeah, they're reading my mask. Oh, <laughs> then it's like, wait, it says be kind. That means I have to be nice, too. Uh-oh. <laughs> yeah, what, what are you looking at, buddy? I know. And then I've got another one that from them that says, uh, love your neighbor. And I tell mm. you, that really forces you to be nice at the to the cashier. <laughs> That's good. I like it. So I've seen your pictures, I think, with maybe both of those. What's that? I think I've seen pictures of you with both of those oh, yeah well i had the one that said be kind it was at i was wearing it at the uh the vigil 
Yeah. Back in I June. I saw that one for sure. And it came out as a really dramatic picture. I really liked it. So <laughs> I'll probably be using it from time to time as a uh, as a profile photo or something like that. I love so. it. Headshot. Yep. Oh, when are you? You probably never can line up just right huh, to be one of my guest teachers. On, What's that? It probably will never line up time-wise, huh, for you to be able to be one of my guest teachers on a Sunday school. Yeah, the Sunday school is harder than the worship time. Yeah, I figure. Um, yeah, well, we could probably do it. I don't know what uh, October is going to be like. Um, I could record I think it. from October 11th to probably October 20th. That's not very okay. long. I'm going to be in Arizona, I think. Okay. Oh, so you might have yeah. a little free time on Sunday morning. And uh, I can teach, since I can teach online from there, that's not a problem. Yeah. And uh, then November, I got to be back because I think I'm going to start a teaching, a new teaching job. So Ooh. we'll find out this week, find out tomorrow, I think, how that how that's lined up. Through who? Uh, University of Dubuque. <gasps> oh, okay. Are you familiar with them? Yeah, I mean, a little bit. Big, they're a big PCUSA uh, yeah. ch uh, church college. They opened yeah, up a the... campus in Meridian. Oh, really? And they opened up a campus in Tempe, Arizona, where my where I'm going. Oh, wow. That's where my, so I'm going to go. My, my dad's had a really tough time. He's now in assisted living, and so his house is empty. Oh. And I'm going to go down there and do some work at the house. Okay. And... And it's only a mile from University of Dubuque's new campus. That is awesome. So there may be times where I'll be teaching from down there and times from up here. The Meridian. Wow, and, look at that. And they, do, that... they do a live synchronous face-to-face -face teaching model. Yeah. Uh, though now it's on, on Zoom. Right. Uh, for now. But eventually it'll be face-to-face -face in the classroom. Oh, that's cool. Yeah. Yeah, one of the... the uh, Presbyterian pastor here in town. He's a graduate of Dubuque. So. Yeah. I was just I was just really surprised when they opened it up. They were looking for people who could teach in their business programs. You know, oh, nice. And it's like, so can use my PhD there because it's for um, MBA program. Yeah. But then they also have undergraduate courses and they require everybody to take like uh, like a Bible study or, a, you know, Christian theology kind of course. Oh, man. Perfect. And, and then they went, oh, wait, you've also got a a seminary degree. Oh, good. So oh, it's all, it's all coming I've, together. I've never heard anybody say, oh, good, you have a seminary degree. <laughs> <laughs> it is, it's all paying off right now. So, yeah, it took, it took a little while, so. <laughs> hey. <clears throat> well, I got to go. Okay. What do you got I'm next? A, what do you do? Today, I'm, uh, I've got uh, some English muffins that are on the rise, and I got to Go cut them and cook them. Nice. So we can talk. We can talk about baking and working yeah. from home next time. Making chili today. So do you want to? So. Do you want to schedule a? You up, I'll schedule a time for a week from today. Sure. All right. So I intend to get the uh, interview and this conversation posted by the end of the week. Okay. All right. Good intentions. Uh Good to talk to you. Yeah. Good to talk to you too. So um, I am going to I know I'm I'm the highlight of many people's weeks. So I get it. I get it. I understand. Uh, it's a heavy burden to carry. It's, I know it. 
<laughs> All right. Well, I'm going to end this. Talk to you later. See ya. Bye, Greg. All right. Bye-bye. One of the things we've tried to do in the past is refrain from editing. And at this time of year, my office is on the back porch, so frequently you might be able to hear finches, sparrows, doves, as well as cars on lawnmowers. All the talking, interviews, and conversations are rough cut, mainly because we never wanted to take the time to get overly precise and picky. Rather, we have great ideas, and we just simply want to present them. Start following, commenting, and sending us ideas on the All That's Holy Blue Collar Podcast Facebook page. Also, you can search for the All That's Holy Blue Collar Podcast by going to themissionplace.org. Go to the Media tab, and you can find all of the episodes of the All That's Holy Blue Collar Podcast. As we're closing out, I want to give a big shout-out to At the Speed of Darkness for the music intro and outro. You can follow At the Speed of Darkness and support his music at Bandcamp. Bandcamp.